Why do you believe what you believe? If you call yourself a Christian, why? If somebody came to you and going, said, hey, um, you, you say that you're a, a follower of Jesus. What does that mean? Why are you a follower of Jesus? Well, let me ask this question, too, because I would be naive to think that everyone here is a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you may be asking, Josh, why should I believe what you believe? I'm glad you asked. Because I'm going to tell you. I, I hear this quite often. Um, I've heard people say that when sharing their testimony, well, I've always been a Christian. And, and I, I cringe just a little bit because I, I read God's Word and God's Word tells me, no, you have not always been a Christian. Once you were far off, but God brought you near. Once you were an enemy of God, and, and God redeemed that. He restored that. You were an enemy. If you were a Christian, you were not a follower at one time. The Bible tells us these things. In fact, 1 Peter 2.10 says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And the big question is, is how do we get there? How do we get there? Because I think this, to think about this question and answer that question, well, how do I get there? How, is, how do I get to be God's people? How do I receive, get to receive mercy? We have to know that because that helps us, that helps us ask, answer that question of why we believe what we believe. How do we get there? It's a big idea this morning. It is God who sovereignly works in our lives and in the lives of others to bring people to himself, to redeem them, to make them his, <coughs> his, to call them his own, to clean them, to make them holy. He does this. And if we just look, we op just to open our eyes to see this, we can see how God sovereignly works. Now I'm going to throw this word around today a lot. Sovereignty. Sovereignly. I think I need to define it. I like what R.C. Sproul, and I said it right, didn't I, Sam? Said it right? Okay. R.C. Sproul says this way. God from all eternity, according to his own holy and wise counsel, freely in, and immutably ordains whatsoever ever comes to pass. God's in control is what that means. Nothing escapes him. Even your rebellion to him is still, he is working in and through that. And we're going to see this in our text today. God is at work. In our long text today, we see Stephen, full of grace and the Holy Spirit, he boldly proclaims what he knows, not just what he thinks or what he's imagined, but what he knows. He has seen it. He's heard it. He has experienced it. He knows this to be true. And what he does is show how God sovereignly, how sovereign, God sovereignly works. It's evident in making much of himself and redeeming people. See, Stephen proclaims what he knows to be true and can be shown to be true. He's seen it. Stephen's sermon is the longest in the book of Acts. It is a sermon of apologetics. That means that we, Stephen makes a defense for his faith. Because they ask him, is these, th these things true? And he goes, yes, let me tell you that these things are true. Let me show you how these things are true. And here's how he does it. Here's how I'm going to unpack what Stephen talks about here. There's a lot in here, but here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to point to the sovereign hand of God in the lives of Abraham, Moses, Joseph, and in Christ himself. Because this is what Stephen does. Stephen offers, he mentions a lot of other people in here, but those are the ones that, that I have time to pull out of here. Now you have to understand that Stephen was accused of blasphemy. Excuse the blasphemy, meaning he was speaking irreverently about God. And, and I'm not sure if Stephen really knew what was about to happen to him, that he was going to be stoned. 
We'll see this next week. He would give his life proclaiming the gospel. I'm not sure if he knew this, but I know this. He was, he, was, he was completely aware of the severity of the actions that he was facing. And I know this too. God was at work in the life of Stephen. Sovereignly at work in the life of Stephen because we have it right here. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to break this up and we're not going to read all 54 verses at one time. And all God's people said, amen. All right, we're going to break it up. But we're going to look at just kind of this in chunks, okay? So let me pray for us and then you guys hang on, all right? Father in heaven, we, we praise you, Lord. We, we thank you that you're at work. God, you're at work right now. And Father, we may not know that or see it or experience it right now, but Father, I pray that you would open our eyes, your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to see how you are at work and that you're stirring in our hearts right now. And Father, I pray that you, you do this to in abundance this morning. Help us to see the goodness of your face and how you work. And God, I pray that you would just draw, you would draw people unto yourself that you would redeem and that you would be glorified through it. Father, my, my prayer is that if it be your will that you use me, that you ring me out this morning as we look at the truth of your word. Father, help me to preach your word here. And Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you that you are the triune God, that you are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that you are at work. And we praise you for that. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's look at the first eight verses. This is God, God's work through Abraham. Now here's Stephen. We saw that he was accused, he was seized last week, and here he is standing before these religious leaders. It says, And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to, Abraham, to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land with the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him. That's important. God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in the land belonging to others, who would, all, who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nations that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. So let's look at this. I love how Stephen opens this up. And I love how he addresses him. He opens our, uh, with a call, uh, our passage opens with a call of, for Stephen to respond to these accusations against him. And I love how he addresses those that are accusing him. Look at what he says. He says, brothers and fathers. I don't know if you guys completely understand Stephen's heart here. Because Stephen could have replied any other way. He could have, he could have said, you evil men. Who do you think you are? But he doesn't. You see his anguish for his brethren. These are his Jewish brothers. He says, brothers and fathers. His brothers, when he addresses them as brothers, it shows that he, he cares for them. He cares for their eternity. He cares for their salvation. He wants them to know the truth. And the truth is staring them in the face. And he's like, can't you see it? Brothers, I see it. Can't you see the truth? And then he says, fathers, he's, this is a sign of respect. I'm going to say, you are the religious leaders. You are the religious fathers. You are the ones that should be showing us this truth, but you can't see it. He's pleading with them when he says, brothers and fathers. These are his people. 
And then he says this. The God of glory. If you underline in your Bible, that's worth underlining. The God of glory. This is important. Because God's glory is the sum of his attributes. Everything that God is, is for his glory. All that God is and all that he does is first and foremost for his glory. Look at me with your face. You need to know this. Because it's really easy for us to to fall over in the ditch that God is for my glory. God does like to envelop us in his glory, but he is not first and foremost about our glory. He is about his and his alone because he is all good and he and he alone deserves all the glory. And when we align ourselves with that, that is so good for us. We have to remember this. God is first and foremost for his glory. And for anyone else, that would be narcissistic because anyone else, they're not holy and pure and righteous and good. But God is. And if God is all good, then his glory is all good. This is why we must be about God's glory. Now, let's talk about Stephen. What Stephen says here, he carries on. Stephen demonstrates clearly that God initiates the process of calling out a people for his name. And that he continued to pour out his grace on these people in spite of their own rebellion. This is what we're going to see in the lives of these men and God's people. And he began by calling Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Abraham was a pagan. He wasn't a worshiper of God. He wasn't a follower. He was an idolater living in a pagan culture with no merit in him for God to appear to him and make a covenant with him. But God did. Verse 4 says that God removed him from that land to the land was in it, where he gave him this inheritance. He removed him. He removed him, but he gave him no inheritance there. He promised it to him. But here's what God did give. He gave him a promise. He gave him a promise. And a little bit of history lesson here. And, and I've struggled to, to cram all of this in here because there's so much in here. But I, I don't think I could have broken this up any other way. But this is what we see. We see the Abrahamic covenant here. It's an unconditional promise that God gives to Abraham and his people. And here it is. It's in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. This is the Abrahamic covenant. Then the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country. That's what Stephen's talking about. He's quoting this. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make, you, make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Promise. It's a big promise. It's an unconditional promise that God makes to Abraham and his people. There's a few parts to this, this promise or this covenant. First was land. It's land. I believe this to be literal. It's real land. However, the only land that Abraham himself possessed was a burial plot. But his, his descendants inherited this land and are inheriting this land. It's still being fulfilled. And here's the second part of this. The other second part of this promise or this covenant was descendants. You're going to get descendants. Genesis says that the number of his descendants will rival the grains of sand. He was barren. Rival the grains of sand on the beach. He says in Genesis 17, 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. The promise that God is going to bless his people through Abraham, through descendants. Guess who comes through Abraham? Do that in a minute. Here's the third part of this promise, this covenant including a promise of blessing and redemption. This is the most important part. All the earth will be blessed through Abraham. The promise finds its fulfillment in the new covenant, which we see in Christ Jesus. It's brought about by Jesus, the son of Abraham. And Redeemer, who 
one day restore everything. That says, I'm going to work in and through you. You pagan idolater. I'm going to work in and through your life. To be a blessing for so many. And it's his sovereign hand that does that. And this is what Stephen is showing. He's showing this is Father Abraham. You guys know the song? There's a reason why we sing that. Because the Hebrews says this is a Father Abraham, Father of a nation. And Stephen is showing these high priests and these religious leaders that God was sovereignly at work through Abraham, one who they knew as their father. Let's continue on. We've got a lot more passage to cover here. Look at, look at verses 9 through 18. Then the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, descendant of Abraham, sold him into Egypt. You guys know the story of, of Joseph? They sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. That's important. They sold him into Egypt, but God was with him, and he rescued him out of all of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and, and our fathers could, not, could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob and his father and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, and he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought, had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had, had granted Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. Stephen then turns his history lesson to this guy named Joseph. He's the great-grandson of Abraham. Joseph was the 11th son of, of Jacob and his father's most favored. But his brothers didn't like him for it, right? He kind of bragged about it a lot. He had a really cool coat. He had to wear around and show it off. And his brothers despised him for it. And in fact, one day his brothers took him and they were going to kill him. They threw him in a cistern. They were going to kill him. They threw him in this cistern. They were going to leave him there. And here comes this band of travelers. They pull him up out of there. And they say, hey, let's not kill him. Let's make some money off of him. And they sell him into slavery. And he tells his father that he died. But God was at work in the life of Joseph. And he found himself in a high-ranking Egyptian, Potiphar. Found him in his home and the head of his house. Because God was with him. When he refused to sleep with Potiphar's wife, she accused him of advances on her, and he was put in prison. But God was with him. Stephen says that God had favor on him and, and rescued him of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the eyes of Pharaoh, and he became ruler in Egypt. The guy that wore a fancy coat was thrown into a well and sold into slavery. God sovereignly is using to redeem his people. The great famine in the land. Pharaoh was over. Or, uh, Joseph was over all that Pharaoh had. And God blessed him and gave him the wisdom to store up because he knew God showed him that the, the plague was coming. When Egypt had plenty, Jesus, or Joseph sent for his family. So they, would not, they wouldn't starve to death. They would be provided for. Now remember, his brothers and his dad thought he was dead or gone. Never see him again. But he sends for his family and they come. They're provided for. And on his second visit, he reveals himself to his brothers. The ones that tried to kill him. The ones that sold him into slavery. The ones that lied to his father. He brought his fancy coat back with goat blood on it and said he was attacked by a wild animal. He's gone. Same brothers. And they were terrified. But look at how Joseph responds. Look at Genesis 
chapter 50, verses 19 through 21. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am in the place of for, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Our text says that it was about 75 people and God provided for them and they grew in number to thousands and thousands. This blessing, promise that God gave Abraham is coming, it's being fulfilled here. Through this, God's people increased in number and for a time were blessed. Through the ups and downs of Joseph's life, God was at work for the good of his people and the glory of his name. It doesn't stop there, it continues. Look at verses 20 through 43. You guys ready? We'll start at verse 19 here. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up, he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as, as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers and the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man, and, and he avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were, they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you have killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of the fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at, at the sight. And as he drew near, uh, near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers. I am the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groanings, and I've come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. Important. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge? This man, God sent, is both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in, in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one uh, who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the, the angel who spoke to him on, at Mount Sinai. And with our fathers, he received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this, Moses, who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what, he has, what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship in the host of the heavens. As it is written in the book of the prophets, did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You look up, look up the tent of Molech and the star of your God, Rephim, 
the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. This is God working through Moses, is what Stephen says here. Some 400 years after Joseph, God's people, the Hebrews, they were in slavery in Egypt. And Moses was born. At the time, Pharaoh ordered that the midwives of the Hebrew people, they should kill their male children. One of them killed, and Moses was born during that time. And he was spared, and for three months his mother hid him away. And when she could hide him no more, she didn't know what to do, so she makes a basket. And she puts him in a basket, and she sets him afloat in the Nile River. And his sister watches this happen. He floats down the river, and by God's sovereign Grace and mercy upon him, not only for Moses, but for God's people. He comes to the hand of Pharaoh's daughter. What a great story, right? Amazing how God works. Like if we were thinking about this, I wouldn't plan it this way. None of this I would plan this way. But God does, he works this way. He was found by Pharaoh's daughter and raised in Pharaoh's home. Was trained in all the way, he found favor. This Hebrew found favor in the eyes of Pharaoh, the one that was oppressing God's people. This is God's plan for redemption of his people. We see here, Stephen tells us, when he was 40 years old, Moses killed an Egyptian that was beating a Hebrew. God was breaking his heart for his own people, and he kills a Hebrew. Buries him in the sand. You can read this story. The next day, he saw two Hebrew men fighting each other. He tried to stop him. One of them says, hey, you're going to kill me like you did that Egyptian yesterday? And this terrifies Moses. I'm going to be found out. I've I, I got to flee. And he runs away. For 40 years, he runs away. But God's not done. God's still at work. And he comes to him, the burning bush. He comes to him, a burning bush. And he told him, come close. Look at verses 32 through 34. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac and Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare look at him. Then the Lord said to him, take off the sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing. It's holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people. For 400 years, God knew. He saw it. Surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard of their growing. And God doesn't say, I'm going to send some people. He says, I have come down to deliver them. God has come down to deliver them, and he's going to use Moses to do it. God does this. He is sovereignly at work here. God uses Moses in this mighty way to lead his people out of bondage. And I encourage you, take your family through this. Take your family through this story to see how this unfolds, the plagues and all of these things. He uses Moses in a mighty way, and it's evident that God works. And over and over and over again, we see that it, is, it will be evident that it is the hand of God working here. God does the impossible. He parts the Red Sea. He crushes Pharaoh and his army. He does that. But we can't look over this either. God's people, their memories are really short. Like ours. Really short. God has freed them from the bondage of slavery from 400 years. He parts the Red Sea. Imagine seeing that. And you get to the other side and hear the people in the desert not long after all of this had taken place. And they began to turn back and not worship the one true God who had set them free. God's people, they can't hold firmly to God's grace. They lose sight of it. They lose sight that it is God who gives freedom and they return to their self-righteousness. Instead of obedience to God, they made for themselves a golden calf to worship. They're going, God, we don't, you're not moving fast enough or we don't like the way things are going to, so we'll just help you along. We'll do it. Let's get us something that we can worship. 
And God gives them over to the rebellion for a time. But praise God, he's not done. He allows them to wander in the desert. He allows it for his glory and the good of his people. He keeps them from the promised land, but he never leaves them. Never leaves them. He leads them. Pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. He leads them. He feeds them. Day by day, he does this. Because God is at work for His glory in the redemption of His people despite their rebellion. Do you see this, Christian? Do you see this in your own life? That God has been at work in and through you and other people despite your rebellion and the rebellion of other people? This is God. Doesn't this draw you to worship Him? I mean, I read through this and I, I think of my own life, of how I've rebelled against God and He has been faithful. He has been just. He has disciplined me, lovingly disciplined me. But He has never left me or forsaken me. Praise God for that. Let's look at verses 44 through 53. We're almost done with the, this big chunk of passage of Scripture, right? Stephen continues, our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before their fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Even get serious here. I want you to understand, we have to remember too that it was Stephen, Stephen was charged with blasphemy, speaking irreverently about God, but, but these religious leaders could not see the truth. They couldn't see it. And he's going, it's staring you, you know this. These are things, these things that I've shared with you, you know it better than I do. Why can't you see the truth? And here's the truth, this is what he boils down to. He goes, don't you see? All of this was leading up to the righteous one. Christ who you murdered. Don't you see? He's telling them the truth is, is that Jesus, who they were rejecting, is the pinnacle of God's sovereign work to redeem his people for his glory and our good. And Stephen has pointed out that, that God has always been at work in and through, under, over, around, and even in spite of man's actions, God has been at work. God has been at work, amen? God has been at work. The charge with Stephen was saying that Jesus would destroy the temple. And Stephen points out going, you got it wrong, guys. You destroyed, you tried to destroy the temple. Not a building, but Christ himself. You think about the temple, what was the purpose of the temple? The dwelling place of God. The dwelling place of God is the temple, right? Here is what these rebellious leaders could not grasp. Jesus is God. And he was here. He was there. He looked them in the face. It's not a building. It's God, this Christ. The second person of the divine trinity, God had come and dwelt with them. 
And they had done the, the, tried to do the exact same thing that they were accusing Stephen of saying. It's God. Christ is God. He's not a created being. He is God. We see this all throughout Scripture. Let me tell you, Christian, you have to, have to know this. Christ is in the beginning, and he goes all the way, all the way through this book to Revelation. He is in the beginning. We see this in Genesis when he created man in our image. It is purposeful that that is plural because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit was there. Created. You look at John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word is God. All things were created through him. Nothing was made without him creating it. Christ. This is why we see in Matthew 1.23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. You know what Emmanuel means? God with us. Amazing. And here, Stephen was not guilty of blasphemy. These religious leaders were guilty. They were guilty of attempting to destroy Jesus. But here's the beautiful thing. God was at work. God was at work. God has done His most magnificent work through Himself, Christ Jesus. What Stephen's like, guys, can't you see this? Why he calls them brothers. Christ, God Himself is the perfect sacrifice because there is only one that is perfect and that is God Himself. He is the perfect sacrifice. Christ. He is the promised one that all these prophets spoke of. Let me remind you, Isaiah 53. Starting verse 3. I'm going to read 3 through 6, and I'm going to jump down to verse 10. You have to see this. 700 years before Christ came, this prophet speaks of Christ. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. It means we didn't care. We're enemies of Christ the King. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yes, he does. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we were healed all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, laid on him the iniquity of his all. And look at verses 10 and 11. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. God's at work. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall all, shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. God was at work on the cross. It was his plan all along. Despite the evil intentions of man, God is at work. Church, this should stir something up in us about worship of the one true God. Despite our failures and our imperfections and our sinful nature, God is gracious and merciful and he is at work. His sovereignty is at work. God was sovereignly at work then, and He still is today, for His glory, His alone, and our good. This is what Stephen was pointing out and pleading with these religious leaders to see. He's like, can't you see? Guys, can't you see? Don't you see this? He's like, don't you see that Jesus is the greater Abraham? Abraham was the one that pointed to the, the one that would redeem. 
Jesus is the greater Abraham because through faith in Christ, many people are blessed. We just read this in Isaiah. It will make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus is the greater Abraham. Because through faith in him, people are blessed. But the truth is also those who curse Christ, they will be accursed forever. I'm sure Stephen felt this for his brethren. He did not want them to be cursed forever. And I plead with you today, if you don't know and trust in Jesus and put your hope and faith in Him that His sacrifice was for you and you commit your life to Him and you submit to God's good authority, my fear is that you will be accursed forever. But if you know this, take take hope, Christian. You are not. Stephen also points out that Jesus is the greater Joseph. He's the greater Joseph. Jesus is the one who calls us out of the, the famine. We're running around in this life looking for scraps that will maybe satisfy us. But, but, but God, Christ, he calls us out of that junk and he says, come to me. All oh, you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. I will feed you. I am the bread of life. Jesus is the greater Joseph. He provides for us even though we rejected him. Jesus is, even pointing out here, Jesus is the greater Moses. He's the one that leads us from the bondage of sin and he gives us freedom. He is the one that does the impossible and sets us free. He's the one that parts the sea of impossibility of forgiveness. And he says, walk across on dry land. Trust in me, follow me. Jesus is the greater Moses. He does the impossible and he leads us into the eternal promised land. Full of his grace and glory. He does the impossible. And he does all of this. Great cost to himself. And like Stephen, I ask you. Oh church, can't we see? Can't we see? Honestly, I mean, you have to think about this. Can't we see? Do we, I mean, has the world so jaded us that we not see the glory of God at work and has been at work? And should we worship him because of that? Can we see? He's still at work today. Today, this day, I've prayed God would work today, today to open people's eyes. It is sovereign work for the redemption of his people. For his glory and our good. We look at these, and this is, you may say, well, Josh, this is Old Testament stuff. It's Old Testament stuff. God's still at work today. Let me introduce a couple to you. Jason, Holly, can you guys come up here? I asked them to do me a favor. I love this family. Um, I've heard them share their story about how God has sovereignly been at work in their life, even when they didn't know it, even in the rebellion, God was at work. And and you gotta hear this. It's such an encouragement, such an encouragement. Can can you guys just share? Yeah. I ask you guys to do that. No, thank you, Josh. It's such an awesome just responsibility to to share God's glory. Wants me to stand over here. I walk over here, right here, here. Okay, thumbs up. All right. <laughs> so yeah, it's um, just it, God is so great. What a what a just awesome story. Let me pull up my note here so I don't ramble on for an hour because I could I could really speak for days about what God has done in my life, His glory and the and the paths that He's taken me from. So try to give you five minutes. <clears throat> so I'm a child of divorce, only child. Um, grew up insecure, lost without that understanding what fatherly love. You know, I had two adults in my life that did the best they could. My parents, I mean, they're, they're good people. They did, they did what they knew how to do. But that still left me without any identity, right? Not, not knowing God, not understanding. I remember being, going to church as a kid, like different stuff, but it just never really stuck. Um, <clears throat> but take you up to about 25 years old, probably the first time I actually prayed, and that was for God to make me a firefighter. I already had, I already had the interview. 
I can I know exactly where I was, and I said, God, I, if this is for me, please make me make this happen, right? And being someone not of faith, right? That's just I don't know why I prayed. I prayed. Um, second time I prayed is when I got the call. You know, we're gonna hire you. I thank God for that. I dropped down on my knees. Now, ten years after that, I think God God's idea was to give me something to live for something to take me to another place, right? And that was an awesome career. Fast forward about 10 years later, thought I had this heart condition, and it was going to be over. But in that journey, God knew I needed to meet three people, three people that were really going to move and change my life. First one was Holly. Um, this amazing woman, for some reason, she said yes to me. She stuck by my side, and she gave me a daughter, Channing. If you guys know Channing, she's just this amazing light. And God was in there from the beginning. So with my wife and with my daughter is when I found out that God was going to take all that firefighting stuff away from me, my identity. Remember, I was, without God, I was my own God, right? I was someone of, I'm going to build my temple on the sand. And I kept building that thing, and it kept crumbling, and it kept crumbling. It sucked, right? And for some reason, this amazing woman with me so he took it all away and what, what's what's crazy about that is the surgeon he came in my room after the surgery he was like telling me all about this stuff he was like look kind of a concern of him there's no reason why i should have ever been hired i had a congenital defect born with it that any doctor anyone with a google can would would tell you that it shouldn't happen for some reason because of god's glory i needed to be there so we left california like all all people should and <clears throat> Well, not everybody, not everybody, you guys. <laughs> um, so we live in this small town in Oregon. Again, somewhere we shouldn't have been. I remember telling Holly, we can never move to this place. She applies for this job, and I'm like, where is it? She's like, I don't know, let's look it up. And Climate Falls, Oregon. And uh, <laughs> ended up putting us across the street from this amazing woman, this amazing family, and she used to take Channing to church. Channing was about two years old, and we're like, Cool, we get some time to ourselves, you know, don't have to take, don't have to parent. And I was talking to, to her name was Mary. Her name is Mary. She's still alive. Um, I was talking to Mary, and Mary was telling me, like, oh, you know, Channing really loves church. We love taking her and all that. And um, Mary confronted me with the gospel. And she, she told me how Jesus loved me, and she wanted me to, to know God, know Jesus, so I could be saved. And not, I mean, she basically told me I was going to go to hell. And that was offensive. Right? The gospel is offensive. I'm sure there's people in here that are, are faced with what Josh has shared today, maybe what I'm sharing today. And it, it is supposed to be offensive. It's not. And I, and I told her, I said, you know, I appreciate you taking Channing to the church. I think, it's, I think that's great, but I want you to respect my wishes. And at the time, I, I, I said no. I denied, I denied her. I denied Jesus there. And that, that set the stage that, that warmed my heart for when we put Channing in a Christian school. On top, I, I could go on for hours, all the people that, that moved us in our lives. And Channing came home one day and said, do you love Jesus? And again, confronted with the gospel by my four-year-old daughter. And Ali and I had a choice. We could, we could lie to her and say, yeah, yeah, he's cool. You know, or we could tell her no and take that from her. You know, the devil's work there, and we decided to, to pursue. And God, again, worked in my life. And one day she's like, hey, we're going to go check out a church. I'm like, what? Right, yeah, okay, yeah. And, you know, it's fast forward to here. So, um, yeah, God is so good. Through all the, the heartache that I had, when God took everything that I th at the time, right? We think about God took everything from me. I was unemployed. My body was altered. I, I had lost my pension, like just all this stuff, like just had nothing. I had everything, you know, and God's glory showed me all that, so opportunity to share. So um, obviously our lives intertwine, so my story is, you know, uh, intertwines with Jason's um, you know, I didn't start out um, believing in God. I wasn't really given that. Um, I think my grandparents tried to. Um, I remember them taking me to um, Sunday school, and it was a very vivid memory. Um, but, you know, along that route, I, or long as I grew, and 
I never really was, I never was really reinforced, and um, I became a nurse, and I started to seeing, seeing the world through science, and I chose that science was the answer. I didn't see it as God. Um, I chose not to believe in him, and, um, you know, I, my journey was pretty rough. Um, had plenty of sins along the way, carried a lot with me, um, and just felt that, that was normal. You know, that was life, and I just came from a very selfish place um, and just tried to fill the hole that I had in myself with worldly things. Um, and then, you know, obviously I met Jason, and this huge thing happened in our life with him having open-heart surgery, and um, it set us, God had that plan. We had to have this huge event in our life for our paths to alter and change direction, and it resulted in us... Um, you know, down this path that he needed us to go on, um, ending up, you know, where Jason had men mentioned living across our neighbors are huge impacts in our life, actually. Um, not only was Mary, but actually the Ryans, and they were just Christians who were living out through their faith, and we were able to see that, and we were drawn to them even though we weren't believers. Um, so we really enjoyed those people and wanted to be around them, so there was a reason for that, right? Um, and uh, Jason and I actually moved around for about four months, and we attempted to live multiple places. Or, sorry, we tried to live in North Carolina, and um, we had this plan of where we wanted to raise our kids. We were trying to find that place. Well, God had that plan for us, right? Um, nothing worked out for North Carolina, and we ended up back in Colorado, and um, everything worked. You know, we had jobs within uh, a week. <laughs> um, he put us across the street from an amazing couple, Tom and Callie, who are Christians, and um, they spoke into our lives and lived out who they were. Um, we were able to see that also in, the, in who they were, and um, we were also drawn to them as well, still not believers, but he put us there on purpose, and he continued to speak into our lives through the people around us. Um, through Tom and Callie, we chose to put our daughter in the Christian school, and our child is coming to us now saying, Mom, Dad, you know, do you, do you believe in Jesus? And we felt at that point we started to explore who, who the Lord is because we were like, maybe we should look and understand before we try to explain this in our, what we believe to our child. And um, yeah, just the, you know, the people at our school, her school, you know, amazing people who open a school, like to have God in the school and then continue to instill that in our child who is asking us, right? So all these people who are impacting us, who are just sharing in God, and, um, you know, Callie just walked me through, didn't judge me, was just a person of love, even though she knew I wasn't a believer and let me go on my journey. And my friend just, you know, she was there for me, gave me my first Bible. You know, I continued to explore who God was to the point where I finally, yeah, I mean, I got on my knees, you know, and God, do you, Jesus, you forgive me, you die for my sins. And, you know, I remember the day <laughs> I'm just bawling on my knees in the basement um, you know, and I liken it to the story of where Jesus is preaching to people from, a, you know, a home to all the people in a crowd and um, the, the um, paralytic got low, lowered down and he healed this person, stand up from your sin. I remember standing up from that burden, that burden being lifted from me. And it was just the most tremendous feeling. I've not carried that burden alone from that forward asking God to forgive me for my sins. So um, I appreciate all the people in my life, you know, that, that spoke forward even when I, you know, God was with me even when I didn't believe in him. So he brought me home. So. Amen. Would you guys say that you have seen God sovereignly work in your life despite your rebellion against him to bring you to himself? Yeah, yeah, I fought it the whole way. And God is greater <laughs> than all the sins and just everything. It's, yeah. I mean, I remember that, that, that day of coming home and Holly was changed. She didn't tell me this, that, that, that whole event until later on, but I remember, like, there was a difference. I remember, like, something's different about my wife. <laughs> it's powerful. I mean, we put our child into a, a Christian school. <laughs> we, were, we were, I was an atheist. I mean, if that doesn't tell you, it didn't have to do with me. I mean, like, you know. So. Hey, man. Hey, man. Thank you guys yeah. so much. You guys are awesome. Thanks, bro. Hey, man. I asked Jason to share 
Friday. Wasn't it Friday I called you? I said, hey, just working through this sermon and I think people need to hear your story because God is still at work. Amen? God is still at work. He does the impossible and he still sovereignly works to bring people to himself. And, I'm, and all of us are, are just like Jason and Ollie if our faith is in Jesus. God hasn't been at work. So I'm going to close with this. You didn't think I would. You guys thought I'd probably preach for two hours on 54 verses. But I'm going to close. <laughs> Amen? But here's how I want to close. I do plead with you. If you're lost, if you're far from God, there's a reason why you are here today. There is a reason why you have heard these stories. And I firmly believe that it is God that is at work. You may be sitting there going, well, I, I believe, but maybe I'm embarrassed to share this, or I don't, I don't know what to say, or, or maybe it's just not my thing to do this. I, I encourage you, come, come to me, because we need to celebrate that. Because what we celebrate, if you're, you have put your hope and faith in Christ Jesus, that he has sovereignly worked in your life, you are proclaiming that God has done the impossible. And that needs to be known. Just as Stephen shares here, we need to know, share those things. So I plead, as I plead with you, Put your hope and faith in Jesus. I also plead just as much, if not more, to, with the Holy Spirit to convict you. To convict you of your sin. And show you the glory of God through Christ and that you run to Him. You have no choice but to run to the King of kings and the Lord of lords that has laid it all down for you. That has made you new. Run to Him. I plead with the Spirit to convict you and usher you there. I plead with you and the Spirit to do that. May we not be stiff-necked. God help us from being stiff-necked. And may our eyes be open to the God of glory in His redemption and reconciliation through faith in Jesus. Don't you see? Don't you see? Don't you see God is at work for His glory? And if we embrace that, it is for our good. I have three questions to leave with you with. Can you see how God is and has been at work in your life despite your rebellion? Can you take a moment and just think and look back and recount how God has been at work in and through your life despite your rebellion. And if you can, what do you fear? Why are you fearful of things of this world? If the God of glory has done, had parted seas, has fed his people in the deserts, Day by day, why do we fear? It's a broken world. We see it. And we need to pray for that. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters overseas, whether it be Ukraine or Russia. We need to pray for those brothers and sisters. And here's the thing too, Christian. You need to be praying for the potential brothers and sisters. You need to pray for Putin. That God would rescue his heart, that he would see how God is sovereignly, how God would sovereignly work in his life. You need to pray for those that are enemies of the cross, that God would sovereignly work in their life to draw them to reconciliation. But if you know this, why do you fear? And here's number three. When was the last time you shared with others how God has been sovereignly at work in your life? When was the last time? One of my favorite questions I love to ask when I meet with folks with a discipleship or something, I ask this question, hey man, tell me what God's been doing in your life. 
There's a couple reasons why I ask that question. Number one, I need to hear it. I need to hear it. I need to be encouraged. And number two, those that I ask that question, they need to realize that God is at work. He is at work. I'm going to pray for us now. I'm going to say this too. If God is sovereignly at work in your life right now, and He's calling you to salvation, and you don't know what to do with that, I will not leave here. If you want to talk to me, I will stay as long as you want. There are others. Justin will stay as long as you want. We will stay as long as you want to walk through that and share that truth with you. If you have questions about that, if you need somebody to pray with you, I would love to pray with you. I won't leave. I won't leave until you're ready. And I know others here will too. But let me encourage you in this. As Mark and our worship team comes and leads us in this worship, the God that is at work today in this moment. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I praise you that even in in our weakness, in our rebellion, in our deficiencies, you're at work. And Father, I pray that you have been at work this morning through my feeble attempts just to proclaim the truth of your word. I pray that you're at work. And God, I pray that you would help us to see the glory of your name. Father, I pray that as we worship, you stir something up in us. I pray we, my prayer is that we blow the roof off of this place as we worship in this last song. God, would you stir our heart's affections for you and and God, may it, may it just flow out in, in how we not only worship now, but how we worship this week and how we, we share the truth of how you have been at work and are at work in our lives. God, help us to be like Stephen. Help us to be like Stephen and proclaim, can't you see? And may we find great joy and just trusting in your glory. And it's in Christ's name that we pray.